Amen. Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be with you all this morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Ken. I'm, I'm the Connections Pastor here at Salem, which means that uh, I support our life groups, our adult ministries, as well as our hospitality ministries. And technically, I'm responsible for helping you get connected to groups or get connected to our church family. And today we are in the midst of a three-week sermon series titled, There is More, and today we will specifically be talking about the importance of connection, and that's partially the reason why we have these four chairs up here. As I wrap up the message this morning, I'm going to invite three people that are involved in different types of groups to kind of share a little bit about their experience, and so... I wanted to start off just by sharing a little bit about my own experience. When my family and I moved uh, to the Moorhead area in September 2016, I started as a pastor here at Salem. And at that time, we weren't involved in a a small group or a life group, uh, but I felt really welcomed by a lot of the people that are part of this church. I had coffee with a lot of people, built some friendships, uh, but it wasn't until February of 2017, about six months later, that uh, Vicki and I and some others started a life group, and we started gathering on a regular basis, uh, 12 to 14 of us. We talked about scripture together. We shared each other's struggles and stories. We prayed for one another, and that completely changed my experience, actually, on Sundays. I would show up here, and I'd feel like I had people who knew what was going on in my life, people who loved me, who cared, me, cared for me, who were carrying my burdens, and it gave me a sense of belonging. And so one of the most critical aspects of our spiritual journey with Jesus is connecting in biblical community, and it is amazing how we grow as disciples through our relationships with other Christ followers. Think about this. Think about Jesus. For all of eternity, uh, Jesus has existed in perfect community with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And when he started his earthly ministry, he pretty quickly gathered 12 guys to do life with. Three of those guys would become uh, what we would deem as very best friends, Peter, James, and John. And so he invites these guys into discipleship making relationships. And for the next three years, Jesus and his community walked together. They talked together. They ate together. They laughed and they cried and they traveled and they served and they healed and they prayed and they just did life together. You see, community was God's idea and his plan for spiritual and relational health and for growth of his kingdom. And Jesus modeled this while he was here on earth. So the Bible's pretty clear that community is important, being in community is important. But science also supports the benefit of community. In an article titled Connectedness and Health, The Science of Social Connection by Dr. Emma Sapala, who's the science director with the Stanford Center of Compassion and Altruism Research and Education, that was a mouthful, but that's, that's her background. Uh, she writes this article, and in it she says, social connection improves physical health and mental and emotional well-being. She goes on to say, we all think we know how to take good care of ourselves. Eat your veggies, work out, get, try to get enough sleep. But how many of us know that social connection is just as critical? Think about this. 
One landmark study that she shares in this article showed that lack of social connection is a greater detriment to health than obesity, smoking, and high blood pressure. So what are some of the scientific benefits of strong social connections? We've got them up here on the screen. The scientific evidence says that being socially connected strengthens your immune system. It helps you to recover faster from disease. People who are socially connected experience lower levels of anxiety and depression. People who are socially connected tend to have higher self-esteem and greater empathy for others. Also, there's a 50% increased chance of longevity. It may actually lengthen your life. So you could join a group tomorrow and increase your chance of longevity by 50%. What a deal, huh? Amazing. Get signed up. Conversely, uh, low levels of social connection are associated with declines in physical and psychological health. The problem is that, sadly, loneliness is on the rise. In this same article, she shared a study that, on average, people in America in 1985 claimed that they had three close friends that they could go to to share a problem that they might have. But by 2004, as they continued to see a decline, it was reported that over 25% of people reported no close friends at all. So as you think about shopping in Walmart and you're walking the aisles, one out of every four people you will come across there would tell you they have no close friends at all. And those numbers keep growing. The trends continue to get worse. And how much more so since COVID, right? Loneliness, depression, and isolation have increased exponentially. You see, you can struggle with obesity, high blood pressure, and smoking, but if you have good friends, you'll actually be healthier and have a greater longevity of life than someone who's rather physically fit and relatively isolated. This means, praise Jesus, it's better to eat Sandy's donuts with friends than broccoli alone. <laughs> Amen. The New Testament book of Hebrews affirms what science suggests. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, we read, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's when you're in community that you're spurred on towards love and good deeds, where you're encouraged by one another and get to be an encouragement to each other. Well, today we're going to look at a remarkable story about the power of spiritual friendship, and it's occasionally referred to as the man on the mat. I got to thinking about the crowds that Jesus spent time with over the years. You know, over, on several occasions, Jesus taught to thousands at a time, didn't he? Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the feeding of 4,000, the feeding of 5,000. And in those settings, there were thousands of people kind of gathered in rows, much as we are here today facing a speaker. Yet this setting here in this home where the man on the mat event takes place, people are gathered in a home in a much different setting to hear Jesus preach the word. And we really do want to be a church where people move from being in rows, like you are today on a Sunday, to gathered in circles around tables, 
sharing life, studying God's word, encouraging one another. So I want to invite you this morning to open your Bible, if you have one, or your Bible app, uh, to the Gospel of Mark. And if you're looking at a pew Bible, it's on page 1002. Now, this account that I'm going to share, I'm going to share primarily from Mark, but this story is also found in Luke chapter 5. And so I'm going to toggle back and forth a little bit between both of those. And as we look at this passage, it's interesting to think about the groups of people that are gathered here to hear Jesus in this home. You know, Jesus may have had some of his disciples who would become his disciples in in the house at that point in time. There's a good chance Peter, James, and John were there to listen, so his closest friends. There was another group, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who might have been there more to judge or critique than to listen, but they were in the room. There were uh, friends and villagers that would have gathered to listen, but then there was a group of five guys who were on a mission to help one friend who was restricted to a mat. So let's take a look. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It starts a few days later. When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. You see, Jesus was growing in popularity. He was known for doing miracles and being a godly teacher. People had heard that he was in town and everyone wanted to hear what he had to say and hear him speak. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 gives us a little bit more detail. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So they'd come from Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem to hear this man, Jesus. They flocked to hear more of what he had to say. We'll return to Mark 2, verse 2. In this home, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So Jesus is preaching the word in this home, and the place is overflowing. You can't get in the front door. Everyone wants to be close to Jesus. Everyone wants to hear what he has to say. And the house is so crammed full of people, so much so that people are spilling out over onto the front porch. But there's a group of guys that were on a mission, a mission to help a friend. Verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Luke's account tells us that these guys were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, we don't know much about this man on the mat. Or his friends. The man is paralyzed, which means he was fairly helpless. His mobility was limited. His means for making money was minimal. His benefit to his friends would have been limited to his words, his personality, or his disposition. You see, being paralyzed in the first century meant that his whole life, this man's whole life was limited to a three-foot by six-foot mat. He would have been at the mercy of friends and family to go anywhere. Uh, For this man, a three-foot by six-foot mat was his greatest symbol of brokenness. His mat reflected his inability to move, to provide for himself, to get from one place to another. It was reflective of his reliance on others. His mat may have been a shadow of insecurity or a symbol of depression, or a flag of poverty. Now, in talking about this passage, 
with our life group, uh, the life group that I'm part of last week, we realized that we all have mats. We all have mats, places where we are broken or burdens where we are stuck on the mat. We all have mats, strained relationships, self-doubt, maybe it's unmet expectations or hopes, perhaps it's blinding pride, or maybe it's an addiction, an addiction to spending or gambling or to alcohol or to overeating or an addiction to approval or self-harm. Or maybe our mats are uncontrollable anger or anxiety, you know, worry that keeps you awake or away. Maybe your mat is your tongue and you simply can't control it. What is your metaphorical mat? As you think about your brokenness and your burdens, what is the mat that you carry with you? Now, it's interesting, just this last week, you know, I frequently have thought of this, uh, I've imagined this paralyzed man as destitute. But this past week, I felt like God was putting some other images in my mind. I don't know if these are to be are true or not, but perhaps the man on the mat was actually the glue between his friends. Maybe he was the encourager or the joke teller. Maybe he was the one who they all went to with questions about God or about life. But this guy had friends. Four friends who cared deeply about him. He had friends that wanted to help with a very real need. Now, perhaps, perhaps these friends had prayed for years and years that God would do a miracle, that God would heal him from his paralysis. They'd asked Yahweh to do something, but tonight, tonight, they hear that Jesus has returned to town, and he's teaching in this home, and they think to themselves, maybe, just maybe, if we can get our friend to Jesus, he can heal him. So they decide to take action. But when they arrive at the home, things were not as they hoped they might be. The place is overflowing, and access to Jesus seems impossible. Verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man the mat was lying on. You know, I can picture one of these ambitious friends, not deterred, says, to the roof, we've got this, we're not giving up, we're going to go up on the roof. And back in uh, Bible times, a lot of homes in Palestine were built of stone and they would have flat roofs. And frequently those homes would actually have stairwells built up on the outside of the home that would take you onto the roof. And so, and so they climb hauling their friend with them, and they gather over the spot that they imagine Jesus would be standing, and they start to dig through the roof, clawing, if you will. Can you imagine the faith that would have taken to do this? They had so much belief. We're going to haul him up on the roof, and we're going to start digging through this person's roof. Well, it would take no tiny hole in this roof to lower this man through. And I imagine Jesus below preaching. All of a sudden, there's some noise from above. Maybe he saw fingers coming through the roof, some dirt falling down. And for a lot of us, we might have, you know, if we were in his position, we might have gotten irritated or upset. I kind of picture Jesus just maybe smiling, shaking his head. He may have taken a step back so that no debris or, or worse yet, no one would fall on him. 
Well, somehow these determined friends contrive a first century pulley system to get their friend lowered on the floor in front of Jesus. But think about this. Once the limp body is lowered, the man would not have been able to do anything. Everyone would have been staring. And this guy has to just lay there. It might have gotten quiet. It might have gotten awkward for a moment. Then we're told in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. The man made no request. The man said nothing, did nothing. He just had friends who had faith that Jesus might do something, and Jesus does. He saw their faith, and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. But the issue is the man on the mat had an obvious malady. He can't walk. He's paralyzed. Yet Jesus doesn't even acknowledge that. He knows that he can do more for this man than heal his body. Think about it. What's more important, forgiving his sins or healing him from paralysis? How often, how often do we come to God with a prayer request? Lord, please let her say yes when I ask her to the dance. God, help me to pass my driver's test. Lord, help me to successfully complete my thesis. Or maybe it's a little bit more dire or pressing. God, save my marriage. Or Lord, heal her from this cancer. But Jesus first answers something else instead, and he does the same thing with us sometimes. Jesus knows that more important than healing the man's body, which was his temporary and earthly challenges, was to heal his soul, his need for forgiveness. Jesus offers a far greater gift than reprieve from the mat. He offers reprieve from sin. And notice that when Jesus saw their faith, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. It wasn't the paralyzed man's faith that impressed Jesus. It was the faith of his friends. And Jesus responds to their faith and forgives the man. Now, for better or for worse, our faith, our faith affects others. We can't make another person become a Christian, but we can do much through our words and our actions and our love to give him or her a chance to respond to Christ. Don't discount the power and importance of your faith. Your faith matters. Don't discount the power of being in faith-filled community. When I see and hear the steadfast faith of others, I see their belief through tough circumstances. I see how they just trust God is going to do something. It inspires me. It encourages me. So Jesus says, son or friend, your sins are forgiven. And quite honestly, when he does, I'm not sure what the man was thinking at that point. Was he grateful beyond belief? Or was he disappointed that Jesus not, had not remedied his paralyzed condition? But we do get to hear what some of the religious elite thought. Verse 6, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In actuality, it's a legitimate question, but there seems to be an air of criticism in the tone of their thoughts. 
And maybe some of you are quick to criticize, questioning the coach's decision, picking apart a sermon, hopefully not this one, doubting the motivations behind someone's behavior, second-guessing their parenting practices. Do you have a friend who helps you see this in yourself, that challenges you and spurs you on? Well, here's what happens next in verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? And by the way, it was actually much easier for Jesus to heal this man than to forgive our sins. Because he went to a cross on our behalf and paid an incredible price. So the religious leaders challenged Jesus' authority to forgive sins. And sin was, since it was pretty hard to determine whether or not a man's sins were forgiven, Jesus says in verse 10, But I want you to know that the Son of Man, his way of identifying himself as God, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to them, I tell you, he looks at the man, so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So Jesus lets them know that not only can he forgive sin, but he can perform miracles, healing people of unhealable disabilities. And then look what happens to the man on the mat. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. I love how it says in full view of them all. I'm guessing everybody in the room is in awe. People are probably stretching their necks to see this unbelievable event happen. I half wonder if the guy jumped at, up and danced his way out of the room carrying his mat. I mean, can you imagine how thrilled he would have been? See, the man had been paralyzed. His muscles would have been atrophied. His balance would have been skewed, but somehow Jesus restores his strength, his muscles, and his balance, and the man picks up his mat and walks out the door. And then in verse 12, it says, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I've read this passage many times, but just this last week, I remembered that there were four guys standing on the roof that watched their friend get up and walk out the door, and they said, can you believe this? Can you imagine the party on the roof? as these guys like, yes, God did what he said he would do. How thrilled they had to be. The deal is we all have mats. We have struggles or baggage that we drag along with us uh, through life, sins that we can't overcome, shame that we haven't been able to shed, pain that we can't part from. You know, maybe our mats are unanswered prayers and we just don't understand why God hasn't answered them the way we want them. Or maybe it's hopes for our kids that haven't come to fruition. Or maybe it's fears that we can't face. You see, we all need people who are help, able to help us carry our mats Maybe even help us get rid of our mats. Who is helping carry your mat? Because of this man's spiritual friends, his sins were forgiven. Because of his spiritual friends, his body was healed. Because of his friends, he could walk across the yard, across the street, across town, across the country. Because of his spiritual friends, his hope was restored. And because of his spiritual friends, People praised God. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says, 
carry each other's burdens, carry one another's burdens. You know, as I've been thinking about that phrase, carrying someone's burdens, it can be as simple as just being present when somebody's going through a tough time. It can be telling someone that they're not alone, that you understand their pain. Sometimes, though, it actually is physically carrying someone when they can't carry themselves. But I was thinking about it in terms of prayer. A person who's praying for me is actually helping carry my burdens to Jesus. When you're praying for somebody. Who's helping carry your mat? Who props you up when you're down? Who challenges you when when you're hurting others or yourself? Who says don't give up? Who points you to the hopes and ways of Jesus? Well, last week, our life group was talking about this passage, and my wife shared something with the life group that quite honestly made me go, oh, I wish you wouldn't have shared that. And she did, though, and another couple then shared that they had a similar family struggle. And it was absolutely amazing how you could physically feel the grace in that moment. Like all of a sudden, they knew that we were struggling with something that they were struggling with. And we started to carry one another's burdens, and it lightened both of our loads. If you're not connected to spiritual community, I want to encourage you to seek it out. There are lots of ways to be intentional about building spiritual friendships, and it can look different for different people. But here at Salem, We believe that life groups are one of the primary launching pads for discipleship relationships. Now, I'd like to invite uh, some friends up here on stage that are all connected to a group so you can hear from them. Come on up here, guys. Um, I want you to hear about their experience. And while they're coming up here, let me share a little bit of what our hopes for life groups here are at Salem You know, our life groups, we hope that we're stirred by Scripture together, that we spend time digging into God's Word together, and that I get to learn from the other people that are in my group, and we we learn about God's Word. And then our our leaders strive to create an environment where trust is built, and people are able to share their struggles, where they're able to struggle well together, much like my wife and I did with those gathered around the table. And our life groups are a place a great place to serve and care for one another, a place where we can encourage one another in our cave, our table, and our road rhythms. Will you please welcome Ernie, Anita, and Dermont up here? Yeah. You know, just really quickly, I invited each one of them because they're kind of all in different group scenarios. Uh, Ernie is uh, in a group with some guys that are retired. Anita is in a group with some families that have lots of kids. And then Dermont is in our young adults group. And so they're all just in a little bit different scenario. And I wanted you to be able to see how those things were different. And so I'm going to ask you guys to, first question for you is, tell us a little bit about your group that you're involved in and why you enjoy being part of that group. So Ernie, you want to go first? Ken, how can you tell that? I'd happen to be the oldest. I asked your wife for your ID. Okay. It's the only right. way I could tell. Okay, then I can go ahead then. I uh, take part in the group. There's five of us. Uh, we meet Tuesday mornings and uh, have a little coffee. We're, we're pretty young. We're in the late 60s and 70s. But uh, 
we have a lot of good times together. Our common bond is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've all... <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's tough for me to say sometimes, but the Lord has just been the mainstay in my life. And uh, he's just carried us through lots and lots of things. Three of us in the group are military, and uh, so uh, we've experienced the Vietnam era, which was, uh, has influenced us all. Uh, in this group, we're able to share openly because we have a real friendship, and uh, there is uh, the Sunday sermon that we discuss. Somebody brings a verse that we tear apart and look at. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can, can do and take a look. The main thing is that with the group, we can share openly because we're all uh, young people and we fall within the same age. <laughs> Anita, Anita, let us know about your group. I'm in a group with five different families, and there are 15 kids between <laughs> us all, ages eight down to about nine months. And we meet every other week. Um, some weeks we don't meet, we'll meet the next, so we're flexible in that area. We've done different things. We've done video series, we've done um, a book of the Bible, sermon follow-up, and with the kids we'll do a Jesus storybook Bible reading or an activity with them, so we try to keep them included as well. And it's just been a really enjoyable time for us to connect with other families in the same um, area of life and the struggles with raising little kids, so it's nice to have that connection with others. Dermon, I know you're part of two different groups, so tell us about those. Yeah, so one of the groups I'm in is with Salem's uh, Young Adults Life Group, and so we meet every other week, and like Anita said, our group kind of is a little bit similar. Um, in the summer, we meet um, alternating parks, which is really cool, um, and gives us an opportunity to engage with people that are at the park as well after we have our study or maybe invite people to that study. And then I'm also part of a, like a pretty small men's group and started off as meeting on Monday mornings um, for coffee, and so we do different things there as well. Awesome, awesome. Well, as, as you all think about the friends that this guy on the mat had, the challenges he faced, and what they did for him, how have you seen spiritual friendships or groups to be an important part of people's lives. So Anita, would you mind going first on that one? Well, because we're on the same stage of life and we also have this same core, the same um, deeper understanding and our goal is to raise our kids up in the word of God. And so that is just already immediately leads us to a deeper level of understanding. So we pray together, we praise together. Um, we're all ages of childbearing, so we, um, lift each other up in prayer and surround each other with meals when that happens and also times of struggle. And just one good example of that is when my preemie was about three weeks old, this was my fourth kid, he had to go in, he was directly admitted to the hospital after a clinic visit and so I didn't even have time to go home and get clothes or anything, I just had to go straight there. And those life group friends were the first people I texted after my husband and my mother, of course. Um, and they prayed for me and the baby, and I just knew they were praying because I was able to get through that time um, with strength and a peace that I would not have had otherwise. That was a very unique time. So having that connection can really help in those times of struggle. How about you, Dermot? How have you 
Yeah, so for the Young Adults Life Group, it has been an awesome experience. Um, I've only been at Salem for about three years, and so being in this group, and it kind of developed the last couple of years, and being in this group has allowed me to um, kind of really grow new relationships and then uh, fuel a few current relationships and get to know people um, and kind of get to understand their background, um, where they're at in their faith, and it's been really awesome. Um, learning different passages with them and seeing how other people maybe dissect scripture or you learn from each other about studying scripture. So that has been an awesome experience. And then um, our small men's group, that has been really um, influential for me because when we started, um, we kind of made a commitment. It was a little rough in the beginning because um, we met on Mondays at 6.30 and multiple weeks we would show up late, but um, for the most part, we never really missed it. And um, through over the past year and a half, we've, I've really seen us kind of grow, and that um, has led to kind of us being able to be vulnerable a little bit in our prayer requests. And kind of an example for me, last year, November, my niece was born eight months early, and I felt comfortable bringing that to my life group's attention um, as far as a prayer request, because every time we'd meet, we'd talk about prayers. And at that point, leading up to it, several weeks after, it was extremely encouraging because the guys would ask, how is your niece doing? They followed up with you. Um, and so having that here was really awesome because my family is pretty far away. And so having a second family here that I can um, struggle with spiritually. So. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Ernie, can you hear me over there? <laughs> Is he talking to me? <laughs> How about you? Okay. Uh, as I mentioned when I started, the common bond that we have, and that is so important, the love of the Lord. And uh, we can lift each other up. We get together. Like I said, there's five of us. We can pray together. We uh, experience the, the weekly message here at church. And uh, I mentioned earlier in the first service that four of us are married, and out of the four of us, we make up about 200 years of marriage. Mm -hmm. And so that's a good thing because there's a lot of knowledge that we can learn from there. You know, we go through life and all the roads are not paved. There's a lot of gravel roads. And so we have to learn how to... Uh, handle that challenge. So it's been just a great deal for us. And as Ken said, you know, uh, longevity in life, I'm the example of 50% 50 50 there. So. so just kind of as a parting thought for uh, each of you, you know, what would you say to those that maybe are not connected to a biblical community but are considering it? What would your encouragement be? Why don't we just go ahead, Durant. Um, I'd encourage you kind of maybe um, seek where you're at in your heart. Um, as you kind of heard this morning, there's multiple groups, and they all can fuel you and your spiritual growth in different ways. Um, and Salem has a lot of groups to offer. But uh, I'd encourage it because for me, it allowed me to build relationships as I'm new to this community. Um, and it also allowed me to find ways to serve in my church. And so... That has been really awesome. How about you, Anita? It's a lot easier to connect with people when you have 
um, that like-mindedness. So that's a great connection to have. And also to just be flexible with the logistics like we've had to be with our kids. And we want to show them that we carve out time to meet with other Christians and connect that way. And so maybe it's every other week or, you know, you do different types of studies at different levels of deepness and or maybe just a time of prayer. And so just be flexible with the logistics of all that. How about you, Ernie? In my age group, there's a lot of us that uh, being retired, there, there are no jobs, and uh, there's plenty to do, and you can find plenty to do. But I think just reaching out to people like myself, and we, we all like to get together. We all, all like to eat those donuts and just, just spend time together. We have talked this morning already. Uh, he mentioned he'd like to have his group get together at our group sometime, and I thought that'd be fun just uh, working back and forth. So there's opportunities, I think. You just got to hang out your shingle and let people know. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, just so you all know, getting into spiritual community can happen in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's one and twos and threes getting together. Uh, Salem has lots of groups that you can connect with, uh, but it takes intentionality and it takes time. I mean, it really does. It's a commitment uh, but I believe that the return on investment is huge. Like, I don't regret a day that our group meets and the time we spend in that way and the way we love on one another and encourage each other. I wanted to let you all know there's several brand new groups that will be starting around the 1st of October. And then there's a number of Salem Life groups that are continuing to go that are open to others to have them join. And so... Today we're having a ministry fair, and if you are not involved in a group and you feel like, you know what, I want to find out more, I want to encourage you as soon as the service is over, walk straight out to the adult ministries table and connect with the people there that are representing these life groups, and hopefully we can find one that you can connect with. Um, let me finish with this, Mark chapter 2. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Who is helping you carry your mat? Would you all pray with me? Well, Father, I, I first, I just thank you for Ernie and Anita and Dermont and the uh, fellowship of believers that they are a part of and the fact that uh, they are carrying others' burdens, their burdens are being carried by others, they are loving one another and they are lifting each other up towards you, Lord, and I pray for each and every person that is here today. I know that connecting is not always easy and is more difficult for some than others. And I know that some people have had bad experiences in the past. God, I pray that you would remove any barriers, any fears that exist in people's hearts and minds and that they would take a risk on community, uh, that they would take a step forward and look for a way to get connected with another Christ follower or a group of Christ followers that can help spur them on in their faith. We thank you for the model that Jesus gave us. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for knowing, Lord, what we need most in our lives and for guiding us and building us and growing us through community. So, God, we thank you, and we praise you, and we're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you thank these three for me, please?